mansplaining in comics. How not to be a jerk about it. A very special episode of the IRCB podcast starring your favorite feminists, Tia and Kara. Hello, Kara. How are you? Hello, Tia. I'm doing splendidly. It's another beautiful day in the patriarchy. (laughs) Beauty is very important to the patriarchy. (laughs) But we're not here to alienate people. We're here to have a conversation about comics that means a lot to us as readers of comics who happen to be female and are very excited to be feminists. So here's what I want to say about this up top. We're going to talk a lot about things and we're going to um, use some general terms like men. And I just want everyone to understand that what we're really talking about is masculinity. And even more to the point, we're talking about a certain kind of masculinity or a certain kind of behaviors that are coded masculine. So that means that sometimes people who do not necessarily uh, identify as men may do these things too. Um with slightly different connotations, perhaps, depending on, you know, a number of factors. But I just want to say, like, you know, at a certain point, language kind of breaks down and we all just kind of have to agree on some definitions here. So please do not get up in arms when we say things like men. Like, you know, we realize that not all men do this and that these are more just behaviors that we're describing that are ascribed culturally to masculinity. They don't necessarily describe all men. I think this is a a good moment to note that the word patronize (laughs) yes, is, is like a great example of this. Like that that is a word uh, like coming from like patron and I, I always think of it in terms of kind of being patriarchy, but it's it's kind of like Tia saying it's not it doesn't mean that like if you're a dude who's listening to this and you're like, well, I don't do any of these things. That's wonderful. Keep not doing these things. But some people do and they do tend to be dudes because the power structure that we live in is one where dudes are generally in control. So. Well, and not only that, but like, it's more, I think that um, culturally, we ascribe power to masculinity. And so if you do these things, you are asserting your power in a space, which is coded masculine to behave in that way. Whereas to be a feminine in a certain space is typically stereotyped as a more um, reserved, yeah, soft, pliable sort of set of behaviors. And also typically coded um, as less empowered. So, um, you know, it's not even about like, well, I don't do that. So I'm going to keep being great, pat myself on the back. It's more just like, we are set up as a culture to reward uh, emphatic displays of power, but there might be a better way. Stay tuned. (laughs) Tia, how would you define mansplaining? Mansplaining is typically uh, a behavior in which a person who 
let's call them a man. <laughs> See above definition. <laughs> um, regardless of context clues, explains something to someone, let's call them not a man, <laughs> who, who very likely already knows all of these things and or does not care. Oh, I like the and or does not care part because that's that- generally my spot. <laughs> I'm just like, and? <laughs> I think that it's most typically used to describe things where you're like, yes, I literally have a PhD in this, but thank you. Your expertise is neither welcome nor appreciated. <laughs> like- that's my favorite part of science Twitter is when female scientists have to be like, this is like literally my doctorate is in this. Why right. are you trying to mansplain <laughs> astrophysics to me? <laughs> but I think that also my addendum of neither like appreciated nor cared for is really useful in comics, particularly when people are like, no, but you have to have read Grant Morrison. And I'm just like, I could not give Why? less of a teeny tiny rat's ass about this. And <laughs> I exist perfectly fine in the space of comics not being a Grant Morrison stand. So really, I just don't know what we're talking about right now. Also, I don't care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because like, I always want to respond to that with like, okay, that's cool. Well, what do you know about this? You know, insert like radical queer feminist canonical text here oh you Mm -hmm. don't know anything about it Hmm, interesting Uh, I when when thinking about this topic I was remembering my days as a teenage comics fan listeners of the show will know at this point it was all DC all the time for me and I I remember making conscious choices to maybe not wear a Green Lantern t-shirt in public spaces, for example, because then I had this kind of accurate idea that I would then, like, someone would challenge me on wearing this shirt. Like, oh, but are you a real fan? Did you know that, can you list, like, all the Green Lanterns and what sectors they're for? And, like, when was Hal Jordan's first appearance and who wrote the arc that he was in with Green Arrow. And it's like, it's always Green Lanterns, right? So I felt I felt as as a young woman who was trying to get into comics that I was aware even at the age of like 16, that an older dude would challenge me about my fandom. And it was just kind of like it, it, it put kind of a cap on how into it I was willing to be because I didn't want to like put myself in an uncomfortable situation which looking back I'm like no teenage Kara that's not you that's the weird dude putting you in an uncomfortable position it's his fault don't think like that but yeah and I think that there so like if you're a dude who's listening right now and you're like I love Green Lantern and I would have loved to talk about Green Lantern to literally anyone who I saw wearing a Green Lantern shirt like you know and maybe you're being uh, a little defensive about like, you know, how do I do this? Like, am I just never allowed to talk to anyone about Green Lantern? No, friend, that's not what we're saying at all. And let me give you just a little uh, way to tell if maybe you are veering towards mansplained territory. And if so, how to pull back and take another path. 
And I how think do that, I do this thing? How do I do this thing, Tia? How do I not mansplain? Okay, let's do this. I'm I'm teenage Kara, and okay. I'm wearing a Green Lantern T-shirt, and you're random comics dude who's like, oh man, Green Lantern. I definitely want to talk about that. How do you approach me? Well, first of all, make sure that the subject is not uh, giving off context clues that suggest they don't want to have a conversation with anyone at all. Uh, A good indication of that, for example, would be headphones. Don't approach people with headphones on. It's just not cool. Just don't do it. You know, Um, also, you know, like maybe a teenage girl in a comic shop by herself and you're like an older dude like that could be considered creepy. So I would say like, you know, if she's having a conversation with the cashier, for example, and it's like a group setting, jump right in. But don't just walk up to like random girls alone. And that's not your listen. Like you may be the sweetest guy in the world, but. Um, we have no way of knowing that. And so sometimes like we are automatically defensive when someone approaches us just because like, you know, Richard Ramirez was real charming too. Like it it just, (laughs) I'm just saying like, okay, sometimes you just have to accept that as much as you want to talk to someone about something, it's just not the right context. So like, you know, read the room a little. Be a little... (laughs) And no, I, I I like that you're saying like be aware. So let, let's say that that you, dude who likes Green Lantern, have approached me, and you've determined that I'm like in kind of a there's like other people around, and maybe I feel safe. And you just say something chill like, "Oh, cool shirt, I love Green Lantern." Yeah. So and then I and then uh, and then if I choose to respond, and yes maybe have eye contact like if I don't make eye contact with you I do not want to talk to you right yeah if somebody answers you in a way that does not invite further conversation take the hint and it's not about (laughs) you like you don't have to take it personally but like you know just graciously accept that they're not into talking right now and it's fine and that's okay but let's say I turn to you then and say oh thanks Kyle Rayner's my favorite that that is a way that I am saying Yes, this is a conversation I feel okay having at this moment. And also, I think that, you know, this is these are two great examples of how you could initiate this conversation, which is rather than making it about challenging the other person's knowledge, and maybe that's not even what you intend to do. But when you say this is my favorite, as opposed to what's your favorite, You may think that you're asking a nice question about another person, but it comes across as challenging and gatekeepy. And again, that's not your fault. That's just how the the structure has been set up. And it's bad for everybody. We all suffer for it. So a way to kind of ease into that part of the conversation with a little bit more trust is to keep it about yourself. This is my favorite. I really loved this in this book. You know, if you want to bring up a specific book or say this is my favorite or talk about a specific creator, keep the keep it on yourself and what you like about it rather than trying to vet this other person's knowledge. If you bring up issue blah, 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 drawn by so-and-so, and they have a lot to contribute to the conversation, then you know that they know what you're talking about. You don't have to ask. But maybe they start asking you questions about it because you've opened the conversation to it and they don't. they haven't read it. Like, they will 
they will let you know whether or not they've read it. And and if you genuinely are just trying to talk about something that's your favorite, like people people like that. People like when you're when you're enthusiastic and happy when and talking about your favorite things and and they'll come along with you if they, if they want to have that conversation. Um that's a very different thing than being like a, you know What do you mean you haven't read that yet? Yeah, yeah, you know, or trying to make it into a, like a trivia contest or something. That can come later when you've established a little bit more rapport with somebody. Tia, now that now that we're adults, adult women in the comic space, <laughs> what are some common mansplaining things that you have seen that you wish people would just not? So um, I think that it's a pretty common uh, way of looking at fandom to, to say that connoisseurial fandom is coded masculine and transformative fandom is coded feminine. What do I mean by these terms? What Kara? do you mean by this? It, I was silent there because I was trying to. I was like, okay, okay. Uh, the the first the first word that you said, <laughs> the connoisseur connoisseur. I was like, okay, that's the dudes who like have they collect the first issues of all their favorite characters and they get signed stuff from like all their favorite creators. And you're saying transformative so in my head i'm thinking fan fiction yeah. fan art also, cosplay engaging with the space and making it your own connoisseurship 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 i can talk today hello uh connoisseurship These are think- phd level words <laughs> <laughs> there's also a certain level of like knowing all the facts about it right so mm. like um, like the dudes with all the baseball stats yeah yeah you know like the dudes who know every piece of backstory and every chris claremont like thought that ever passed through the man's head and you know the, you know those guys um and there are some women too again these are just general terms uh sometimes it can be really fun to go down a connoisseurial rabbit hole with someone who's on your level Sometimes it can be really fun to be along for the ride when a friend falls down a connoisseurial rabbit hole. <laughs> I have certain friends who are experts on topics that I will I will never match their knowledge. And I sometimes will ask them questions I know will send them on a many hour rant about things that I know nothing about. And it is a joy to go along with them. The main thing here is I've consented to that journey. I have initiated that journey. It is not forced upon me. Uh, and then I think, uh, yes, as you said, cosplay, fan fiction, uh, transformative fandom is is more about like taking, finding the cracks between the connoisseurial aspects of spaces and filling them in with your own ideas. And, you know, not everyone's comfortable with that either. So I think that just a really good way to meet in the middle is until you have a rapport with someone and you can understand the context clues clearly enough to know like, okay, they're they're coming along with me on this. Just, you know, when you talk about it with someone, keep it focused on what, what you like about it and uh, what your favorite things are and what it means to you rather than... Um, being the authority rather than being the authority or demanding of them to you know answer these questions and just be cool if they don't know what you're talking about like uh 
you don't have to be incredulous if someone's never read fucking Batman. Like we all, <laughs> some of us have gone our whole lives without reading Batman and we're getting along just fine. And that's that's OK. Maybe ask maybe them. the follow up question is then, oh, well, what do you read that you like a lot? Sure. Yes. Give me a recommendation of what you like or, you know, it's just um, being more open to the different ways that people engage with fandom, I think, is a great way to uh, engage with people about the things that you love without coming across as mansplaining. Yeah, I think some a lot of this comes from, um, you know, we're at a, we're at a kind of an interesting moment in nerd culture in that nerd culture is decidedly mainstream but for many decades it was not so even in the perception of nerds and geeks is still kind of kind of like wrapped up in the the comic book guy on the Simpsons stereotype where you're like, it's a dude in his thirties or forties who's got a million long boxes and knows everything about every thing and might be like a little socially awkward when that's just not the case because people of all ages and all genders and like everyone has the potential to love comics, but there is still kind of this insular quality that whether self-imposed or not to uh, some of the communities. And I think um, we're at a moment right now where a lot of people who have been obsessed with comics for a long time and are now like, well, what do you mean everyone now knows who Iron Man is? Am I not special anymore? And it's like, I want to discourage people from having a negative reaction to more people knowing about the thing that you like because sure maybe they're experiencing the thing that you've liked for a long time in a different context but it's always better for more people to like the thing that you like here's an example i loved the show firefly it only ran for like 14 episodes and had a movie and that was it but if more people had liked it it would have stayed on the air for longer, for better or for worse. So when people are just like, oh, man, like, you know, Twilight Runes Comic Con, I'm like, well, don't you want more people to be engaged in the thing that you like? Because this is capitalism. And the more people spend money on the thing, the more they're going to make the thing. Well, you know, I I do understand why people are like, I've put in the work to like this thing. And you just showed up and you're a tourist here. I, I understand <laughs> why that is, you know, it's like frustrating. It's the, like the it's like baseball, like your team's doing great. And all of a sudden there's all these bandwagon fans. But like it's well, okay. Gonna, they can be fans, too. I was actually going to use a kind of a more in, uh, toxic example, which is like it, it may feel like gentrification of your space mm. because, you know, there, yeah, like a. Fairweather fans are annoying and they take up space. Gentrification, I think, comes with more of a connotation of like you're being forced out of the space. And Mm -hmm. I and I think that is where a lot of the hostility comes from, because I think these comic book guys, to use this phrase that comes from The Simpsons and we didn't make it up. And so don't write us angry letters. Um, You know, I think that there's this uh, idea that they're being forced out of the space, not that they have to like share the space space. yeah and frankly you know 
there's I th- I really do think that there is room for everyone and like you just cuz you put in the work to like the thing it doesn't mean that that's like none of that's being taken away from you your experience um and your knowledge of the thing and the way that you engage with it like no one is saying that it doesn't count for anything but like not everyone is going to appreciate your expertise because that might not even be the way they're engaging with it at all. And that- for example, some of my favorite Avengers stories have been fan fiction on Tumblr. Oh my god, and, yes. Right? So and you're just like you're just never going to convince me that the comics are better because I'm like, okay, but but these two characters don't kiss in that. So no. <laughs> like it's just a different way of engaging with the fandom. Yeah, that's you know, okay. it it really is. And I think that there will come a certain point where we can all be interested in each other's way of engaging. Um, but if yeah, if someone doesn't seem interested in your perspective, consider also that it might be for a really good reason and that they might feel like they've been inundated in culture with your perspective or with people representing your perspective. And if they're engaging with the space in a different way, you know, it might just be because like they feel very like they have similarly to how you feel like they have, they feel like they have to carve out and defend their territory there. And so like, I don't know. I just think that reading the context clues would be a great first step. Sometimes people are like, yeah, tell me, like, it's delightful to see how excited you are about this. And I can tell that you're not trying to challenge me. You're just trying to share your enthusiasm. But that has to kind of, the reception of that has to be there in order for it to come across that way. I'm having a really real flashback to C2E2 last year. Because I I was sitting down to rest my poor booted sprained ankle. <laughs> and I was sitting kind of maybe like 15 feet away from a pole that had a chart that had a, an outlet. And this girl was charging her phone. And, you know, if you're charging your phone, you're kind of stuck there. And this dude like walked up to her and just kept talking to her. And I kept trying to figure out if, like, they knew each other or, like, I was getting more of a vibe off her that she was being polite, but, like, he was, like, really into talking to her. But I wanted to be like, dude, she's charging her phone. She literally can't leave this conversation. You have to be the one to leave. So there's a really good example of a context clue. Like, if they're stuck somewhere... Maybe pay attention to if they're making eye contact with you or giving you full answers with follow-up questions. Those are great context clues. Yeah, you know, there's definitely a, uh, and again, these we're speaking in broad cultural terms here. So if this doesn't apply to you, please do not take this personally. But um, typically, women are very aware of context clues for safety reasons. Um, we learned this at a very young age. Whereas I think, um, you know, little boys are not really taught that because they're kind of 
not as a we don't perceive that they are in as much danger. Now, to be honest with you, I think that that is really harmful to young to young boys to not be taught the same sort of um like emotional and situational awareness as women because they certainly are in just as much, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. it doesn't really uh benefit anyone that we treat little boys and little girls differently in this way, but like I do understand that a lot of men really just are not in the practice of reading these context clues because they've never been expected to do it. And so it could be hard to figure out, you know, but yeah, a really good way to tell is like, is the person making eye contact? Like, is their body language really engaged towards you? Are they asking you follow-up questions that are, are are they giving you yes, no kind of one word responses? You know what I mean? Like, Try to pay attention to whether or not someone is really participating in the conversation, or are they just being polite because they don't know if you're going to like freak out on them or something. <laughs> oh, oh, so sad. It's so real. I know. Um, I think, you know, my my big thing with with mansplaining when it comes to comics, my big problem with it is that it is gatekeeping, and I hate gatekeeping so much gatekeeping is basically like envision a gate and you're the keeper and you say you can only cross this gate if you answer my three questions like don't do that like kind of what tia was saying earlier about challenging if you're if you're coming off as hostile and making someone feel like they have to prove that they're a fan that's I would put that in the mansplaining category and I would say that that's a problem and that's contributing to a negative environment for everybody. Yeah, definitely. And I think that um, I genuinely think that most men don't do this to gatekeep intentionally. I think that it's simply um, the way that they have been taught to engage with each other. And they, and they, I think, I genuinely think that, you know, they do they don't realize that for people who were not previously considered part of these spaces, um, that it actually feels like they're being kept away rather than being invited in. Context clues, people. Context yeah, clues. you know, adapt. It's okay. And frankly, I feel like I'm, um, I'm pretty confident in my like little patch of comic books, right? Like I don't, I don't feel the need to defend my territory and I've become much less uh, fighty when I feel like I'm being mansplained to. I'm much more inclined now, I think, to give people the benefit of the doubt that they're really just trying to engage with me about something that they love and this is just the way they've always done it. They're not necessarily trying to be jerks. And, you know, like 99 times out of 100, I'm right. They're not trying to be jerks. Um, However, I I think that it's unreasonable to expect people who have historically not felt comfortable in the space to always be the ones to like extend that olive branch. If if you're a comic book guy, just be aware that people might respond to your attempts at conversation in a hostile way cuz to them it feels like gatekeeping and there are ways that you can mitigate that implication. Um, such as the ways that we have just elucidated in this podcast. 
Isn't social interaction fascinating? Indeed. (laughs) It basically just comes down to like, be considerate and put yourself in the other person's shoes sometimes. Empathy works. Woo. (laughs) Also burn down the cannon. (laughs) Just have to put that in there all the time. (laughs) Well, thank you all for joining us for this very special episode of the I Read Comic Books podcast. Uh, Be sure to keep tuning into our show we're on our very much deserved summer hiatus for our producer and our editor but in the meantime enjoy our minisodes and we'll catch you back here in the fall <laughs>